That's a kingdom which cannot be moved. Because of that, let's have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably. The whole reason God did that. Remember that section right in front of where we read in Ephesians chapter 2? It talked about our salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which He's ordained that we should walk in them. We've got a kingdom, and we have a purpose. And that purpose is to serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our second service, that's what we want to consider is godly fear. What is godly fear? Our brother has done a great job of reminding us over the past few weeks of some topics and areas of Scripture that this world does not like. And I'm talking about our religious world. I'm talking about the Christian world does not like. Let's be reminded about another one. The material that I'll present to you a little later today, I'll point to you exactly where the outline is. This is an outline our brother preached in two services back in 2005, I think it is. So good time for us to be reminded. Won't be a new subject, but something that we can refocus on. And hopefully we can use, I appreciate the comments I got from the, some of the, the, what we talked about this morning. Hopefully this will help us take that in context with the subject of the fear of God so that we can know how we ought to live the rest of today and then Monday and then Tuesday and hopefully the rest of our lives. Let's look to the Lord again in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank You, Father, for the great kingdom that You have made us a part of, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, He is a great King and worthy of all praise and adoration. Lord, help us in our second service, that we might serve your right, Father. Lord, bless our singing, bless our thanksgivings, bless our praying in your name, Lord, and help us that we can be reminded, Father, of what it means to fear you as we ought to. We see it throughout your scriptures. Help us, Lord, to have our hearts re-energized in your fear, Lord, so that we can serve you acceptably. For we ask these things in the blessed name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Brother Eric. Let's turn in our burgundy books for a couple of hymns this afternoon as we enter into the worship of God. Let's sing number 509 in our burgundy books. Worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer. Amen. Worthy art thou. 509. Worthy of praise is Christ our Redeemer, worthy of glory, honor, and power, worthy of all our soul's adoration, worthy art thou, worthy art thou, worthy of praise. 
Amen. Turn a few pages over to 524. 524. Great God, attend while Zion sings the joy that from thy presence springs. and our sin and our depravity and our wretchedness, but yet our status as saved sinners, then that even more puts us in a great stead of understanding how we ought to serve and please God. Such that anything that He might ask us to do or require of us becomes so pleasant 
and so agreeable and so wonderful and so natural if we understand who that God is and who we are. Amen. Brother Newell, please. Thank you, Brother Eric, both for those hymns and for your excellent comments at the end there. Truly, if we understood what we are, what we owe the Lord, the fact that He asked us to do something should be the most delightful thing that we could conceive of. And we should want to do that thing. A few announcements. Uh, back on the back, we have the 2012 sign-up sheet for the various activities around the church, whether it be preparing for the meals and other things of that nature. Please be sure and check that out and put your name on it. Uh, that's one of the glorious things I think about our congregation is the fact that, you know, we don't have a, uh, a staff to take care of things. We have one another that can take care of each of these activities and the, the cheerfulness and the eagerness with which people volunteer for those things. So our sister Rhonda has prepared that list for us. Let's be thinking about it and be signing up uh, for the uh, various activities of the coming year. 6 p.m. tonight at Brother Jerry's house is where the young people will meet. And so we want <clears throat> to remind you of that. There's prayer lists where all the members of the congregation have been broken down across the month's time so that as you and your families uh, have your personal devotions and family devotions, you get a list to remind you each day of the, of the month of a different uh, uh, brethren within the congregation. So please be sure and grab one of those and, and add that to um, your activities. Uh, I've already heard some thanks from some folks uh, about the work that was done uh, on the uh, <clears throat> steps coming into the back of the fellowship hall over there. Those are getting a little bit creaky and very much thankful for uh, whoever put forth the effort to repair that and to strengthen that. Um, again, another indication of the love of God in doing something simple like that and uh, taking care of uh, what could be a dangerous situation for our brethren's sake. Could I have an update? Could we have an update on uh, the quizzing? Sure. Um, yesterday was an interesting day. I think uh, some of the quizzers were perhaps more prepared this past month than they had been at any time of the year, but it sure didn't show. Uh, we had some difficult quizzes. We ended up losing two, but winning two that I didn't think we would. We tried to give them away. Um, but I'm thankful the quizzers putting in a lot of effort. And um, it, it was a fun day. It was interesting. And uh, we're, we're thankful. I think the, uh, the cornerstones will be ranked third after this month in the entire league with a seven and one record. So we're grateful again for the opportunity and the platform to, uh, to learn God's Word and show it in that way. This next month will be four shorter chapters, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. So we'd appreciate you uh, reading along with us and learning some of that in the next month. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Continued thanks for all those who come out and support those efforts. Congratulations to all you quizzers and the work that you're doing there. Uh, and then... I find it interesting, the, I mean, aside from learning Scripture itself, life lessons that you can learn from there, the fact that, uh, you know, the season for quizzing, you know, it isn't just one or two events. It's a whole season long, and you've got to pace yourself, and you've got to be diligent, and you've got to continue at it. You know, you can't just, you know, aim for this one here, and then, uh, and if you don't, which 
again, you know, if I point a finger, I got three point coming back at me. I've learned that lesson over time of, of not being as careful and as consistently diligent in some matters as I have. You've seen that lesson. Uh, and that's a good lesson for us that we need to be, if you want to learn your lessons and be able to climb the, the ranks of achievement there in the Bible quizzing, you got to be consistent. You've got to maintain your effort all the way through the season. Same way in life. Same thing in life. We have to maintain our focus, maintain our efforts. And those who do are the ones who get the greatest reward. <clears throat> well, we have uh, three brothers who'd like to offer up some thanksgivings before the congregation. Uh, if you would come in this order, first Brother Bernie, then Brother Matthew, Eastland, and then Brother Jerry. As most of you know, I work nights, so I come home generally home around 3 o'clock, sometimes 5 o'clock in the morning. Um, Wednesday morning, my way to work, my way home, I had a deer cross my path, and I lost. We both lost, really. <laughs> I hit him solid, um, and it totaled my truck. The good thing is I wasn't hurt. Amen. And we settled on it Monday, and I'm going to break even, which is good. good. Amen. Amen. The Lord continues to pile blessings on me, and I'm going to be as thankful as I can because he deserves every bit of glory and honor that he can get from me because I deserve none of it, never have, and I never will. So he is going to hear my praise and my thanks, and I wanted to give it before my brethren so that they could glorify him as well. I am thankful. I have just been so blessed by seeing the little bit that I have so far of the development of our first child, just the glory of God in his design and the way that he makes it work. The little bit that I have seen is just so marvelous. How how on earth... Could any person be so foolish as to sit there and say, it all happened accidentally. It, it progressed. It, it somehow managed to work itself out. That is the height of foolishness. Right. But there but for the grace of God go I. That's right. There but for the grace of God go all of us. And I guess I would have to say that if, if there's a principle from my life, I'd have to say it's that statement that there but for the grace of God go I. And... Um, I'm going to have to apply that further in a minute. Um, I'm thankful for my job. The Lord's blessed me very well so far. The Lord's blessed me that already I've had somebody try and use me as a person who did something wrong and made a mistake and blame me and try and attack my company because of me. And I'm thankful for a master who immediately, as soon as he heard about it, went to bat for me, stood up for me, has done all he can to defend me. And I had nothing to do with it. I didn't even talk to the person, but the person blamed me. And the Lord is very kind because every single person along up the chain who has had to deal with the situation has said the same thing. She's lying. It's quite obvious she's lying. You did nothing wrong. And to have people up the chain of command and downwards, each of them telling me, you did nothing wrong, is very reassuring to me, and I'm thankful for that. Thankful for them, for the Lord showing me that kindness. Is it, it worried me that I was going to bring 
shame, even for something I didn't do, I'm my master. But I'm especially thankful right now for the mercy of God again and the fact that I have this new job. I don't know if anyone else noticed it, but I accidentally happened to be watching the news, as I don't normally, happened to be watching the news, and early Thursday morning there was an armored car robbery in Canton, uh, North Carolina. And I immediately knew what company that was because I drove past that place and I serviced that place multiple times. And it was Dunbar Armored Car had been robbed. And it was a person that I trained. I taught him how to do ATMs and he was doing an ATM when a man arrived and uh, apparently they, they messed up all along the way because the guy got into the truck with them. And the statistics, as we were informed on that job, to tell us why we should do what we do and why we should not do certain things is 98% of the time when a criminal gets access to the truck and both people in the truck, 98% of the time they both die because they do not want to leave any witnesses because they're already committing a very, very serious crime. And the Lord was kind because both of them were fine. He didn't touch either of them. and They were, they were unharmed. <coughs> But the nature of the crime, just a little bit that I was able to glean from the news, they'd been planning that for a while. The action had to have been planned because they knew exactly where they were going to be and when, and they knew exactly where the next place they were going to be because the getaway vehicle is waiting at the next stop. I worked that route. I worked that route a good deal. And they could have watched me, and they could have done that while I was there, but they didn't. I'm very thankful because... There but for the grace of God when I. The Lord is very kind to me. He has physically saved my life more times than I can probably say, more times than I know. But I can see the times when he has saved me. He has kept me safe from something. Because I can tell you, I can describe for you in detail exactly the place where it had to have happened because I was there enough. And, And the Lord is very kind to me. And he let me see his kindness. And I'm thankful yet again because he, he saved me from even being in that job anymore. And I'm very thankful. Amen. I want to read something out of Psalms 107. This um, Thanksgiving was kind of a spur-of-the-moment thing. I wasn't planning on doing it until Newell offered. It's been something that through accumulation of last Sunday's message and some uh, a variety of visits, times that I shared with people, um, this past week, something that the Lord has convicted me deeply about, and uh, I just want to—it's kind of a Thanksgiving exhortation combined, I guess. In Psalms 107, 15, I guess, be a good place to start. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Amen. For He hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools. I get a little emotional when I think about this subject sometimes, so I'm going to try to... Y'all forgive me if I do. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near unto the gates of death. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifice of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. 
I just want to thank, I'm, this is going to sound redundant, Noel, but Noel, when I went and said something to Noel, I, I made a comment, I said, you know, if, can I give a Thanksgiving? I said, it's not that pressing, if, if, you know. And he said, no, absolutely. And I got, walked back to my seat and I thought to myself, if this isn't pressing, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life, and I've said some dumb things. If this isn't pressing, then nothing is. And I just want to be thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ and the sovereign choices that He has and continues to make in my life. Amen. Um, we heard the message last Sunday about, we had two messages about the sovereignty of God and election and then the price that was paid to allow that to happen. You know, God, God wouldn't have chosen, couldn't have chosen us if it wasn't for what the Lord Jesus Christ did. And I, I am just so thankful that the Lord took me from a dark place out of rebellion. He saved my soul, called me His Son, brought me here, and just, it just, I'm amazed at the goodness of the Lord in my life. And I, I don't really know what to say. I just want to be thankful for that. I don't ever want, I don't ever want to take that for granted. I think sometimes we forget. I forget. And, and I'm not thankful for that on a constant basis. It's just been a coincidence of things that have happened. Last night, uh, at Chris Carnell's house, Brother Travis chose a song that I haven't sung in so long. And it's one, it's one of my favorite songs. It's, and it's the 90 and 9. And I just want to read a few verses out of this. First, uh, or whatever stands, whatever you call them. Number three. But none of the ransomed ever knew how deep were the waters crossed, nor how dark was the night that the Lord passed through ere He found His sheep that was lost. Out in the desert, He heard His cry, sick and helpless, and ready to die. Sick and helpless and ready to die. And that was me, but that was all of us. My, I might have, my, my, my life, so to speak, might have been a little more uglier than some of y'all's, but the fact of the matter was that we were all ready to die. Right, Sick, right. helpless, and ready to die until the, until the Lord said live. And then we lived. And I am so thankful for that. The last verse on this, Says after this at the end of the song says rejoice for the Lord brings back His own rejoice for the Lord brings back His own. Amen. I know where I was in this world without the Lord. I know where I would be in the next without Him. I'm just very thankful. I'm very thankful. And quickly, I'm also thankful for you know, um, Second uh, Thessalonians. 2.13, where it says, We are bound to give thanks always for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, who from the beginning, who God from the beginning chosen you to sanctification, chosen you to salvation through sanctification and belief of the truth. I think I got that right. But I'm very thankful. Paul, when Paul makes that, that thing, he's, Paul's not thankful for his knowledge. He's thankful for the brethren and the people out there that that have that, that he can be thankful with, that he can share this with. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that to have people that I can have a relationship with that is built on the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. I'm very thankful for that. And just, I am very convicted 
by 2 Corinthians. I'm going to turn to it real quick because I won't get it right probably. I got lucky to get the last one. 2 Corinthians 5.14, which is a verse that has really been on my heart lately. All these things that the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, done for me. And I sit here a little bit ashamed to say that I cannot always say with the Apostle Paul, but I sure, this is my prayer request for myself and my exhortation to all of y'all. It's my prayer request for all of us that the love of Christ would constrain us. Amen. Because that we should, we should, as Paul said, thus judge that if one died for all, if Jesus Christ died for us all, then we were all dead. And that he that died for all, that we should live not henceforth, that we should not henceforth live unto themselves, to ourselves, but unto him which died for them, died for us, and rose again. And that's just my prayer, my exhortation, that we would strive and fight for the love of Christ to constrain us. And so we stop and think about what he's done for us. I'm just very thankful for that. And I just wanted to make mention of that. Amen. We're very thankful, Brother Bernie, for the Lord's watch care over you. As, as I said in the email I sent you, I remember in about a two-year period during that 15 years I went back and forth to Greenwood, I had two encounters with a deer. One that was more scary, scary for me and for the deer, but no problem. And another one that was <laughs> ended up in a dealings with the insurance company as well. And we're very thankful that was able to be resolved so quickly and that you came out in good stead on that. Very thankful for that. And son, we're very thankful for the Lord's blessing in your life. It is wonderful to see a child, to think about a child being formed, and and, and you've got to be totally insane not to see that as the hand of God. Thankful for the Lord's blessing on you at work. I think this is twice now that once, well, two different circumstances where you've been defended and taken care of in two different jobs by your masters. And we're very thankful that you have this new job so that that other one, both there was no one injured there, but you weren't even connected with it. Very thankful for that. Like you said, Jerry, you, I'm glad you got up. We should never, ever want to hesitate at the opportunity to praise the Lord, and especially for something like that. We are thankful for the choices in all of our lives, but especially for the things the Lord's done in your life, brother. And the love of Christ should constrain us. Everything that he's done for us should make us want to live our lives for him because he gave his life for us. Amen. We want to remember a few things in prayer today. We want to remember our brother and sister that are on vacation. The Lord would grant them a good time of refreshment. Uh, we want to remember that uh, there's other congregations out there that we need to remember in prayer. Uh, both we know of our brethren that are in Penang, uh, other brethren that are not in congregations in uh, Singapore, and in uh, Kuala Lumpur. Also want to remember Brother uh, Arnie Gamelon in the Philippines, especially now that uh, because of what the Lord's shown him, his, uh, his, his, his circle is narrowing down. And I think we've all gone through that circumstance, haven't we?
And it's one thing when you're just a believer with that. It's another when you're a minister. But, so we want to pray for that brother that the Lord supports him and maintains him and would see fit maybe to convert at least one or two of his brethren there so that he can have some fellowship there, but whatever, that the Lord would help him to stand fast. Amen. We've got, as far as I can remember, and please correct me if I'm wrong, three sisters that are yet expecting in our congregation, one that's very close. Pray that the Lord uh, grants that that would come uh, to full fruition and full term and a safe delivery and two others that are further out, but the same thing, we pray the Lord grants them both safety and health and strength. Do we have any other matters we want to add quickly to our list this morning or afternoon now? (laughs) Well, if not, let's go to the Lord in prayer for these matters. Our most gracious Father, we are so very thankful, Lord, that we can call you Father. Lord, we're thankful that you revealed yourself to us so that we can know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Captain, our brother, our friend, our Savior. We're so very thankful, Lord, for knowing him. Lord, you've heard the thanksgivings we've offered up this afternoon. Lord, protection in travel and protection financially, Lord, in a circumstance We're thankful, Lord, for the glory of how you have made us, Lord, in creating new life in a a mother's womb. We're thankful, Lord, for the blessings on Matthew at work, both in his new employment and in safety and delivery from his former employment. And Lord, we're so very thankful for the choices that you made as our brother Jerry has mentioned in his life, but the choices you've made in all of our lives, Father. For truly, as he said, we were all in the same boat, Lord. Whether we were young in life when we came to know you or later in life, all of us, Lord, did not deserve that revelation of truth to us. We were all sinners and you came down and touched us, and made a difference in our lives. And you continue to do that, Father. And we're thankful for it. We're thankful that we, each and every one of us, were that one sheep that you went out, and your Son, Jesus Christ, paid the price to bring us into the fold. And Father, we ask that you would help us, that the things that are said this day, that are said Throughout, Lord, the existence of this congregation from this pulpit, Lord, the things that are said every day in your word as we read them, that they would, Lord, that we would realize and that they would constrain us to show forth in our lives the love that we should towards you and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that you'd hear our petitions now, that you would grant to our dear brother and sister, Lord, a good time of rest and refreshment. Lord, they have labored, both of them, in the spheres you've given them, to serve you. They do it cheerfully, Lord. They sacrifice their time and their efforts, Father, on the behalf of you, first and foremost, 
but to help us, Lord, and to help others. So, Father, we ask thy tender blessing upon them and granting them strength and rest and refreshment. Lord, we know part of the things that they're resting from are the labors that they and others, Lord, performed just a few months ago over in Malaysia. Lord, we ask that the work done there would continue, that you'd bless the congregation in Penang, that you'd bless Brother Singh, Father, that he might be a mighty man of God, and that you'd bless those brethren there, Lord, with sweet fellowship within that congregation, and that they might be just what we want to be, Lord, the perfect bride of Jesus Christ. We ask your blessing, Lord, on the brethren that were in Singapore and in Kuala Lumpur, Father, that you would Help them, direct them, Lord, to either find a place where they can worship or that you would help them in forming places to worship you in spirit and truth. And Lord, not just there, but our brethren in St. Louis, the brethren in Howell, all the brethren we know of and don't know of, Lord, that are scattered out across this world, even those like Brother Scott, who are not able to meet with a congregation on a regular basis. Lord, supply the needs of each and every one. Help them, Lord, that they might walk in your word that they might walk in fellowship with you. Lord, we thank especially of Brother Arnie Gamelon. Father, he has tried with the things that you've shown him to share it with other brethren, and, and he has found rejection there, Father. Strengthen his heart. Encourage him, Lord. Help him to see that this is the way of the truth and that opposition is one of the things that he will face. Strengthen him, Lord. Encourage him. Grant, if possible, Lord, that maybe some of his ministerial brethren would be converted as well. And would they together, Lord, would fellowship with you and teach and instruct their congregations in the way of the truth more perfectly. Lord, be with our sisters that are expecting children. We thank you, Lord, for the safe deliveries so far this year, Lord. We have one more coming and then two next year, Lord, that we know of at this time. Lord, we ask the same blessing upon these three as we've asked for others. Strength and help for the mother, a safe delivery of the child, and that all, Lord, both all three families, Father, would be centers where Jesus Christ would be preeminent and where father and mother, Lord, would both teach and live exemplary lives before these children, Lord, for your glory and honor. Father, we ask now that you'd be with us in the rest of our service. Lord, grant that all that is done would bring praise, glory, and honor to the great name of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask these things. Amen. Let's sing one more hymn in our Burgundy books. It's number 436. Majestic sweetness sits enthroned upon the Savior's brow. It's number 436. Stand with me, if you will, before... Brother New will come. It's 436. 
Paul, would you please uh, open us in a word of prayer before Neil comes? Thank you. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the opportunity of hearing thy word taught to us. O Lord, you have raised up men that we have appreciated much in our lives to teach us the word of God. And we thank you for Brother Newell, who will stand up and teach thy word to us this day. Our Father, have mercy upon him. Bless him with strength and wisdom to be able to teach us those things that he has studied. May we receive those and rejoice in thy goodness to us in hearing the word of God taught. Lord, bless us during this hour. Have mercy upon us. We trust in you and pray that you would put your spirit upon us in this place and glorify thyself as we seek to listen to and hear thy word taught. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Again, this is a topic that has been taught. I have an outline here. That's exactly what our brother taught in two messages back in 2005. Definitely encourage anyone and everyone to go take a look at it because I do not intend to go over all of it. Obviously, Brother Jonathan took two full services to cover the material and didn't cover it all. So I'm going to give you a tithe of a tithe of it today. It's not a subject that we are unfamiliar with in this congregation, but it's a subject we need to be reminded about. The passage that I opened with that was in my preparation last night over in Hebrews talks about the kingdom that we're part of. It cannot be moved. And because of that, because of the kingdom that can't be moved, the fact that God has made us citizens of that kingdom, that we should serve God acceptably. That means with reverence and godly fear. Because God is a consuming fire. That's New Testament. That's not Old Testament, that's New Testament. If we go to the Old Testament, we see the same sentiment taught. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 tells us, And now Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? But to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. The fear of God is not contradictory with the love of God. They go hand in hand. The fear of God is a different way of describing and talking about the love of God that we should have for Him. Psalm 4, 4. Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Selah. Though that doesn't have the word fear of God there, that encapsulates what the fear of God is. Standing in awe. Thinking about God. All of His great glory. All of His great majesty. The all-wise, all-powerful. Jealous. Merciful. Loving. Just. Righteous. Holy being. He's awesome. We should stand in awe of that. We should fall. What did, what did John? 
John, the blessed disciple of Jesus Christ, who was just like this with the man, Jesus of Nazareth, right? He's the one who leaned on his bosom there at the Last Supper. What did that close, dear friend do when he saw his dear friend revealed in his true glory over in the book of Revelation? What did he do? He fell on his face as if dead. So you see, the fear of God and the love of God are intertwined. Stand in awe. And what should that cause us to do? Sin not. And we should think about that. We should commune with our own hearts upon our beds and be still. These are things that should be part of our daily thought process. As our brothers advocated and taught us, we should be, of all the 168, is it, hours in a week that we have, we should be setting aside time so we can do just that. Contemplate our God. Think about Him. And think about the implications in our lives with the end result that we live our lives differently from how other people live the life, from how we ourselves live our lives when we don't think about those things. The greatest, wisest man in the Old Testament was who? Solomon. God gifted that man with a the most godly king, who is his father, who was listed as the man after God's own heart. Solomon was extra beloved in David's sight, wasn't he? And God, with his humble prayer upon becoming king of the great nation God had established, the fullest extent of the borders of Israel were under established under David. Solomon just got to enjoy this huge kingdom. And when God put him up as king and said, okay, you're king of my people, what do you want? Of all things he chose, Solomon chose wisely. I want wisdom so I can rule this so great a people. Not because Israel was so great, but because they were God's people. What did he say? The man who had more wealth and ability to utilize his wealth who had more understanding. I mean, he could sit there and talk for hours at a time about trees without having a degree in horticulture. Right? What did this all-powerful, wise king say at, in the end of one of the greatest philosophical works ever written, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is talking about life in this world? What was his conclusion? Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this, fearing God and it making a difference in your life, do you keep His commandments? This is the whole duty of man. For, here's why, God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now, do you see the blessing in there as well as the curse? 
I mean, normally we see the curse in there. Oh, every secret thing I've done that's wrong, he's going to bring in a judgment. And that's true. And that's one of the reasons you need to fear him. But also in that great day of revelation, everything that's been done right, what's it say? Every, every secret thing, whether it be good, every good thing that you've ever done, that nobody else has ever seen but the Lord, that'll be revealed too. But the only way you're going to know to do a good thing, the motivation for doing that good thing is because you fear the Lord. And that's what we want to consider today. Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ himself over in Luke 12 told us, And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ told us we need to fear somebody. And it's not anybody out there. What can they do? Worst they can do is take away our life. Big whoop. For a child of God, that's that's nice, isn't it? He's taking us out of this place of sin and suffering. Who you should fear is the being that you will see and you will be confronted with the second this life ends. The being on the other side of that river called death. On the other side of that veil. That's the being that you need to fear. Let's take a look at that. Let's take a look at that. What is the fear of the Lord? As I said, I'm just going to cherry pick some things here that jumped out at me in looking at this outline. And I heartily encourage everybody to pull it up yourself. Find out things I didn't cover. Find out things I did cover and read them to see what Newell missed and what you can find that's better there. Because that's the secret, brethren, Let me give you the secret of what this is all about. It ain't about me telling you stuff. Okay? It ain't about that at all. Each and every one of us is in this play called life. The good Lord wrote the script. The good Lord set up all the props and all the scenery. The good Lord gave us all our lines. And the good Lord is sitting back and looking to see who is reading his lines the best. We all have our own lines to read in life. We all have different callings. We all have different abilities. The Lord isn't going to judge you by what Newell Eastland's ability is to learn Scripture. Or Jonathan Crosby. The Lord's going to judge you on what Esther's ability is. If you're Esther. Or Matthew's ability if you're Matthew. And he'll judge me on what he gave me to do. What is the fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord is belief in the creator God of the Bible as an awestruck, with an awestruck consciousness of his glory and greatness and a loving desire to obey all he requires to please him and to avoid his anger. 
I think that's a pretty good definition of the fear of God. I mean, as we think about it, we know it doesn't come naturally, does it? I mean, what comes naturally to man, we find over in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 and verse 18 tells us there is no fear of God before their eyes. So, brethren, we know right away, we're talking about a capability that you and I have if you're understanding me. If you have the ability to understand anything I'm saying, and when I say that, I don't mean, do you understand the English language? But if you're understanding this, the impact on your life, if what I'm saying means something to you, other than just words, it's because God's worked the work of grace in our hearts. Because by nature, we don't fear God. Outside these doors, you're not going to find much of anything that's going to reinforce the fear of God in your life. But that's why we meet. We meet to remind ourselves about these important subjects. And the fear of God is one of the primary ones because it's tied with loving God, as we've already seen from a couple of passages. No man fears God naturally. Man rebels against God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that, right? For the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. See, they've got the truth of God. If you go over to any number of the Psalms, it tells us, right? Is it Psalm 19, I think, that day into day and night into night? There's a sermon going on all around us. The sun rises. The stars come out. Weather happens. It's a sermon that everyone sees. And the subject matter of, the sub of that sermon is God. He exists. He made all this stuff. And anybody who denies that, they just show that they've got no sense whatsoever. That they're totally ignorant. Because it's a plain sermon that's preached in every language under heaven. But man rebels against that. Man sees that. And man says, I don't like the idea that there's a God who's stronger, wiser, and more powerful than me and telling me that I don't have the right to do things my way. It's that simple. Why is there homosexuality, brethren? It's because men make a conscious choice. I don't like God. I ain't going to submit to Him. And the Lord says, wonderful. Give me a second. Let me change a few wires in you. Now, go have a nice life. It's that simple, brethren. And the way we always need to look at that is but by God's grace. It's only because of God's grace that our wires have not been crossed that way or worse. Because it tells us verse 20, the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood to the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So you see, every man sees that, but it doesn't make an impact other than rebellion on most men. It's only by regenerating grace that we can see the fear of God and have it. Look at Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah 
Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 39. Here the Lord is talking about part of His covenant with His people. And I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and for their, and, uh, and of their children after them. Notice the fear of God is not something that harms us. The fear of God is to help us. We are limited beings. If we don't have the proper incentives around us, we would go all sorts of stupid ways. The fear of God is part of the incentives God gives us to keep us in that narrow way of blessing. And it is a way of blessing, brethren. It's only sin and the effect of sin in our hearts and minds that tells us that obeying God is something hard and difficult and evil. And he's a party pooper. He doesn't want us to have fun. No, the best fun you can have in the world is by taking care of and pleasing the God who created all things. Because He created those emotions. He created all those good feelings that you have. And when you're doing it His way and in His path, you know, following His way, He just multiplies the joy at what you're doing. And anybody who's had any experience with sin personally in your life, you know, as soon as you grab that wonderful thing you wanted, why did I want that? That's not fun. Oh, maybe I get a little tinkle here, you know, a little bit of, uh, of, you know, titillation there, but then look at all the awful baggage that comes with it. Look at all the after effect of that one little moment. It ain't worth it. But God says here, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their good of them and of their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I will not turn away from them to do them good. I will put my fear in their hearts that they shall not depart from me. If we didn't have the fear of God, brethren, we'd depart from God. So it's a good thing to have it. You know, I, I, I'll tell you, for whatever it's worth, I had a father who helped me understand the fear of God. Not by the fact that he taught me the fear of God religiously, but the fact that he loved me. He showed me all sorts of ways he loved me. But I knew to be in, God, in my father's love, I had to obey because it was very painful when I disobeyed. I can remember very specific instances where I was doing something and I knew it was against my father's will. And sure enough, dad came in and enforced his will on me. It hurt. It was painful. He was a good father in that regard. So much so that later on in life, I was in a situation where I was away from mom and dad. They would have known if I got into trouble. But there were always two thoughts in my mind. One, where, where I am right now is a, is a privilege to be in, and it's because my father is taking care of me. He's footing the bill for this thing that I'm able to do. I don't want to displease him because he's being good to me. He's a good father. I know he loves me. That was thought one. Thought two was, I don't want him to find out and to lay, lay on some more chastisement on me if I do something wrong. So they work together, even in a natural setting. 
How much more in a spiritual setting? The Lord here tells us that's what he did. That's the way he designed it. I hope Newell's illustration is worthless. It means something to me because it proved in my life the spiritual principle that you can love somebody and fear them at the same time. I hope I'm speaking, well, I know I'm speaking to human beings, so I'm sure somebody out there can hopefully understand that. Point here being regenerating grace is what we need to fear God. God supplies that, and he gives us the fear of God to help us. This is not something for our detriment. This is something that we need to pray for. Look at Psalm 86 and verse 11. Psalm 86 and verse 11. David says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. See, David knew. I don't know when this was written. Whether it was before or after Bathsheba. But whatever, David knew. I can do things contrary to your will, God. With all the wonderful things you've done for me, with all the promotion, with all the safety, with all the protection, I can stray from you, Lord. Right now, while I've got my right mind, I'm going to ask you, Lord, help me to walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Because it'll keep me in that pathway. It'll keep me safe. We're talking about the fear of God. The object obviously needs to be the Lord himself. You know, it's not that I fear you guys out there because we're all part of the same congregation. We are part of the household of faith. You know, and I don't want to do something that, you know, looks bad in your eyes. No, if you've got that, forget it. You're wrong. It's not some important person in your life other than the Lord himself. But see, that just applies even that much more pressure, doesn't it? Because you guys I can hide from. I can do things that you guys will never see. I mean, even somebody like my sweet sister who lives with me, I could do things up here that she doesn't even know about, right? But you know what? Everything I do up here, he knows about. He sees every thought. He knows every step that I think about taking and don't take, but I still want to take that step. Right? So the object of our fear has to be the Lord himself. Look at Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13. Here in contrast to the peer pressure of wanting to please other people around you, even pagans, The Lord through Isaiah says, Sanctify the Lord host himself. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. You know, if you're living a righteous life, brethren, you'll have opportunities to have this come into play. To where the righteous thing is to do X, but my boss or my peers say to do Y. It should be a no-brainer. The Lord says to do it. I don't care what the people around me want to do. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. I'm not going to fear what other men are going to say. I'm going to fear what the Lord says. 
that needs to be our motivation, to fear the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah chapter 10. Verse 6, For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. Who would not fear thee, O King of nations? For to, for to thee doth it appertain. For as much as among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like unto thee. I mean, God is the ultimate. Whether you're talking about wisdom or you're talking about might. Because obviously, why would we fear somebody? Well, they may be smarter than us. Maybe they know something we don't know. Well, no, the Lord knows better than any wise man. Well, maybe they get more power on us. Maybe they can penalize us if we don't do their will. Well, but the Lord is the ultimate. What's he called? What is one of the titles of Jesus Christ that we rejoice in the New Testament? He's the blessed and only. And what's a potentate? That means you're a ruler that has all power. So the Lord ought to be feared. We ought to follow what he says because he's got all power. And he's got all wisdom and all might, all understanding. What are some of the characteristics of fearing God? Again, I'm jumping around in this outline. What are some of the characteristics of fearing God? How can we know that we are following the fear of God? What are some of the things that we can do, we can put on in our lives that will help us, that are part of the fear of God? Well, obviously, God's a holy God. I say that. Is that obvious to everyone? That He's holy? That He's separate and apart from sinners? Okay. So, one of the things we can do is we can hate all sin. Oh, and here again, I did say in my preparation, right, that this is a little different from what other people want to, you know, talk about in our day and time. You know, Brother Jonathan, I think, did some good things talking about, you know, hate this, you know, we hate the sin, but we don't hate the sinner. Well, you're ungodly. You don't know what you're talking about then, if that's your philosophy. Because God hates sin, wherever it is, whoever's got it. Look over at Proverbs 8, 13. Proverbs 8.13 Simple, flat out. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Is that hard? Is that difficult to understand? Do I need to define those terms for you so you understand it? Should I turn to the Greek or the Hebrew on that? I think it's pretty simple, right? To hate evil. Then he goes on. Pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Now, you see, you could look and say the froward way. Oh, that's the philosophy. That's the thought. That's the idea of doing something against God. Yes, we should hate that. But notice it says we should also hate the froward mouth. That's the perverse mouth. Oh, I guess we should hate mouths, but not the people who are speaking with them. Again, does that make, that doesn't make good nonsense. You hate somebody who speaks wickedly. And we are equal opportunity, right? If it's whoever out there in the world that wants to speak like a fool, I hate that. 
it's one of my brothers who speaks like that. I want to hate that. If it's me and I'm speaking foolishly, I want to hate that. Actually, we, we're not quite equal opportunity. We want to have a priority there. We want to hate ourselves first. Because I can't control that guy out there. I can't control you. But I should be able to control me. And if I really love the Lord and really fear the Lord, I want to control me so I don't do evil. So if I find that wicked mouth is Newell's mouth, I want to hate Newell. And do all the right things to change Newell so he doesn't have that wicked mouth. Or that pride or that arrogancy. Look at uh, a few pages to the left, Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16, verse 16, following to verse 19. These six things doth the Lord hate. Hey, if the Lord hates it, I need to hate it, right? Yea, seven are an abomination to him. Do you know what an abomination is? It's something God extremely hates. I mean, it's one thing to hate something. To abominate something means it's at the top of the list. You can't hate it any more than this. Okay? A proud look. Ah, there's that pride again, right? That's something we ought to hate. A lying tongue. Again, that's somebody that's lying. Hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. You know, it's not just wickedness and sin out there. It's even the thought of foolishness is sin, right? A wicked imagination I want to hate. And the first place I want to hate it is right here. If I truly fear the Lord. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness, that's a person that speaketh lies. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Now, obviously, I read that for a couple of reasons, both for the little sins listed there that we can all be guilty of, but also notice, doesn't that move in the progression there from ideas and thoughts to individuals that are that are showing forth those deeds and thoughts? I mean, this is part of the reason why hate the sin, but not the sinner. Satan came up with that. It's simple. I don't need to think any further. Isn't he the one that said, Yea, hath God said? But you know what? We all like to agree with that, don't we? Because we don't like the idea of thinking that, well, one of these, my peers, or me, myself, and I, we've got things that are wrong that need to be gotten rid of. We've got things that we ought to hate. If I have the fear of God, I will. Look at Psalm 5 5. Psalm 5 5. Because people will ask you, oh, you mean you ought to hate? You ought to fear God? Oh, that's not right. I'm sorry, can you tell me how these verses read any differently? Psalm 5 5. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. God hates those who do the iniquity, not just the iniquity they do. And that includes us. And here's the thing we need to remember. As Brother Jerry said, the love of Christ should constrain us. Why does he not hate us right now? 
Why does He give us good things? Why does He bless us? Well, it's because when He looks at us, He looks at a perfect soul, one that never sinned. Because Jesus Christ is who He sees. Because we're in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ took our punishment so God's justice and righteousness are fulfilled in what Jesus Christ did. And now when he looks at the accounting ledger or he looks at the picture, the Facebook picture, he doesn't see a picture of Newell. He sees a picture of Jesus Christ. So how should we live? We ought to be different. It's to depart from evil, talking about these characteristics of fearing God. It is to depart from evil. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 7. Proverbs 3, 7. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. I like that passage. I like that passage because you know what? That strikes at the heart of the most problems we face. Being wise in our own eyes. We don't want to put it that way, do we? But anytime anybody deviates from what God has said, what are they saying? God doesn't know right. I do. I mean, brethren, when we talk about the subject of Bible translation, right? And we talk about why we believe the King James, you know, and we ridicule all those seminarians who want to correct God's word. The arrogance of the man to correct God. That's a good feeling, right? It feels wonderful to say something like that. It's a good thing to do. We need to do it just as much when we are the ones that are correcting God. Oh, did God really say that I should spank my child? No, he said you ought to beat him. I'm sorry. See, spanking, you can define any of sorts of ways. You know, who's it? Is it Dobson, you know, pinching the trapezius muscle or whatever you think he used to say or something like that? No, God said to beat, and God gave us many illustrations in Scripture the illustra- of how to do it. Oh, but I'm afraid of what? Somebody's going to say if they found out I'd do that. Oh, where's your fear? Is it men or is it God? And please, we need to be wise in how we do everything. Okay? But, do we cut out something because, oh, I might get in trouble with somebody. Well, we need to throw out some things that we get in trouble with God. We ought not worry about anybody else too much. Comparatively speaking. Depart from evil. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to sacrifice for the God? How did Abraham show that he loved God and that he feared God? Over in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. Loving God takes sacrifice. Fearing God takes sacrifice. Genesis chapter 22 and verse 12. Actually, verse 11. Give you the context. Here's the context. Abraham's like this. Knife ready to plunge into Isaac. Verse 10. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
And the angel of the Lord called out to him from, uh, uh, unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. I mean, Abraham's like this. Yeah, here I am. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. The son of promise, the son of promise, Abraham was ready to slay because God asked him to. Brethren, what, what do we want to keep alive that God's asked us to slay in our lives? God's asked you to, to kill something unless that angel shows up and says, nope, something better. But most of the time, we're not slaying. We're looking for the ram in the thicket. I hope I'm not being too symbolic that you don't understand what I'm saying. Too often, we don't want to sacrifice the things we ought to sacrifice in our lives. And it shows we don't fear the Lord. And we don't love the Lord because they go hand in hand. Abraham was ready to take that thing most dear in his life, the promised Son of God, and offer him up. When he was ready to offer him up, the Lord knew, or the Lord, the Lord already knew it, but the Lord let us know. See? He really does fear me. He's not going to withhold his hand from his own dear son. Are we obedient to God's precepts? See, obedience is what God wants. That's the whole reason He wants us to fear Him, so that we'll obey Him. Look over at Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. What was Noah afraid of? Noah was afraid of something he'd never seen and no living man to that point in time had ever seen. They'd never seen a raindrop. I mean, we see rainstorms all the time now, don't we? They'd never seen one. A mist came up every morning and it watered you know, really heavy dew everywhere, enough to where all the plants were taken care of. But rain falling down from heaven, they didn't know what that was. I'm sure all the worldlings had a great laugh. Oh, why are you building this big ark, Noah? Oh, because there's going to be a, a rainstorm come. What's that? That's where all these clouds are going to come up and water's going to call, fall down from heaven. Water from heaven? Oh, I'm sure he was the butt of all sorts of jokes while he lived until... The day came when it was finished. He had the last pair of animals in the ark. He and his family went in and the Lord shut the door. All of a sudden, that thing Noah talked about was there. But he feared it because he saw it naturally. No, because God told him about it. See, the fear of God, trust God at his word. And if God says, I ought to fear, you know, I ought to be afraid of this thing. Well, I'm going to be afraid of this thing. There are people that are going to ridicule us because we're, we're, we're what? We're anticipating another life? 
You don't, you, you mean, you don't, you don't understand that we're part of the evolutionary chain of being and, you know, we're just going to go on to, you know, feed the ground for whatever the next level of evolution is? You really think that there's a, a big granddaddy in the sky who's going to take care of you when you die? Ha ha ha. No, he's not a granddaddy in the sky. He's an almighty, all wise, holy being who's watching me right now. And he's going to judge me and you and everyone else one day. Have I ever seen that with my eyes? No. God's told me about it. I believe it. I'm a Noah making my ark right now. Are you building your ark too? Because God says it, I'm going to fear it. And I'm going to take the preparations God told me to make. See, those are two parts of the fear of God. You believe what God says and you do what he tells you to do. Ah, turn to Psalm 112 and verse 1. Part of the fear of God is to take great delight in God and His commandments. Psalm 112. In verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in His commandments. I should not read God's Word as if it was some theological, theological treatise I can use to help debate with Arminians. Is there material there that can help you with Arminians or dispensationalists or whatever heresy you're going to meet? Of course there is. But that's not why I read the Word. I should read it from the standpoint that it is wonderful. This is the wisdom of all ages. This is the personal love letter from the great God of creation to me. I should want to know what he says. I should want to delight in what he says. Does he say that he commanded certain people to be killed, man, woman, and child? Oh, that's against the Geneva Convention. Oh, nobody who could believe in genocide. Oh, that can't be a true God at all. Oh, I'm sorry, idiot. I know where you're going. I would be afraid to talk like that, except in ridicule of that position. If God, look, if God wanted to take me and dash my brains out, oh, that would be a beautiful thing because I don't deserve any better. But the fact that he's decided to be kind and merciful to me all my life, oh, that's grace. That's, that's, that's even more beautiful. You know, were he to take any of my children, all of which I love, if he were to dash their brains out, what could I say? They came from me. They were sinners. They deserved it. But he didn't. And to the, to the extent that he's blessed them and prospered them, given him his word, allowed them to repent of sins. I mean, we can go down the list. That's wonderful, isn't it? Look, whatever God says is good, and it's pure, and it's beautiful, it's righteous. Every one of his words is righteous. i got to have that as the attitude. That needs to be my attitude. That needs to be to ground my actions. God said it's true, therefore I'm going to act on it. You know, brethren, it's real simple. Why do we want to ridicule 
Global warming. A simple statement that God said. After the flood, he said that seed time and harvest, summer and winter, are not going to go away. They're going to be here. Hey, God promised that. I don't care what the science says. And some of us who could even study the science and show them wrong in the science, I don't even want to go to that level. I'll be honest. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. And you know, my belief really doesn't matter either. God said it. That settles it. You know, anybody who says that man's going to end this world, no. I see all the pla- all over the place where God's going to be the one who ends this world, and it has nothing to do with gasoline or coal-fired furnaces. It's got everything to do with that hot furnace called hell that we have in our own hearts, and it comes out in our speech. So I'm going to be much more concerned about that and correcting those areas of my life than I'm worried about what fuel I have for my vehicle, what my carbon footprint is. Why do I know evolution is a bunch of diluted, as Brother Jonathan like said, you know, uh, what is it, marijuana smoking, you know, acid dropping philosophers and scientists. Why can we say that? Because it starts off in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The fear of God says, God said that. Hey, good enough for me. I don't need anything more. As I see more in creation, that's wonderful. But God said it, that settles the matter. And I'm going to delight in what God says. I don't want to just barely accept it. I want to delight in what God says. Brethren, this is the fear of God. This is what should rule in our life. I haven't even given you a tithe of a tithe of a tithe. Of what I even marked in my notes. I hope though I've given you a few things to think about. Let me cover just a couple more real quickly. Fear of God. We've talked about being connected with love. And that's a good way to keep the the, the picture when you think about the fear of God. It's intimately connected with the love of God. It's almost like a flip side of the coin to the love of God. When you see somebody who's afraid of God and it's paralyzing from doing what's right, that's not the fear of God. That's an ungodly fear. What's an ungodly fear? Being in a perfect world, perfect creation, having a perfect body, a perfect wife, being perfectly naked, having no restrictions on you other than, well, go out and prune the garden. You know, there's no weeds growing. You know, anybody worried about weeds and trying to pull up weeds and crabgrass and things, things growing where they ought not to grow? There was none of that. All it was was prune it a little bit, shape it a little bit. And this one over tree, this tree over here, prune it, shape it, but don't eat off of it. That was it. That was all there was to do. Hard life, wasn't it? Terrible life. But deciding that, well, you know, maybe that fruit is something that would make us wise. Oh, excuse me. I'm talking from Eve's standpoint. She was deceived. Adams wasn't even half that good. Adams was, hmm, this girl I've known for, I don't know, a day or two, a couple hours, whatever. Oh, she's going to die because she's already eaten off. She wants to eat off the tree. 
I guess I'm going to take her rather than trust the God who made her in the first place for me, that he can't make another one just like it. Nah, I'm going to go ahead and eat the fruit. I mean, and then what did he do? When God confronts him over it, this merciful God who gave him that beautiful woman, who put him in this perfect environment with hardly anything to have to do, and he says, where are you, Adam? What does Adam do? He hides. Was he afraid of God? Oh, yes, he knew he'd violated God's law. Was that godly fear? No. When he finally comes out of the bushes, when God finally finds him in the bushes, he's hiding himself with fig leaves. And then he's saying things like, well, Adam, why did you do that? It's the woman. Lord, you shouldn't have given her to me. She made me do it. Woman, why'd you do it? You shouldn't have made the snake because he deceived me. Blame, 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 blame. That's not godly fear. Do you know what godly fear would have been? And with this I close. Godly fear would have been at, as soon as he heard the voice of the Lord. He knew the Lord was physically present in the garden. Godly fear would have been to run as fast as possible to where the Lord was. To fall at his feet and say, Lord, I sinned. You told me not to eat of that tree and I ate of it. Forgive me. Have mercy. You don't see any of that in Adam. I hope these thoughts will help you. I hope this will remind us of some things. As I say, there's a wonderful outline, numerous pages long, lots of good detail you can go in. Find even better passages that even speak better to your heart. Brethren, let's fear the Lord. Let's understand that this is a biblical subject that we're commanded to do. It's for our good. The Lord will bless us when we do it. And the more we do it, the more we fear the Lord, the more we love the Lord, like I said, they're interchangeable. Not only will the better our life be, but the more glory and honor we can give to Him. Let us live in the light of this. Please join me in standing. Our most gracious Father, we thank You, Lord, for revealing Your truth to us this day. We're thankful, Lord, that we are part of your kingdom. And we're thankful, Lord, that because of that, we can know how to fear you properly. Lord, help us that we might serve you in this way. Help us that we might love you, Lord, and not want anything to stain our relationship with you, to have the shadow of displeasure on your beautiful countenance because of us. Dismiss us now with your blessing, Father. And grant that if you... Grant us the days that we might be able to meet on Wednesday to share a meal together and to once more, Lord, hear from your word. For we ask these things in the glorious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.